I, uh, I'm wondering, anybody know what a humble brag is? You guys ever heard of that? You know, you've been around somebody and like maybe you're in their house and you see some really nice artwork and you go, wow, that's amazing. And you're like, yeah, I just, you know, I just started. And look, I mean, it's like they're like, yeah, I just started painting and yeah. You ever heard that? It's like they're being humble, but they're really kind of bragging about it. Have you ever seen it, heard that? I know none of you would do that. Well, I, <laughs> oh man, I, I'm, almost, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I'm going to tell you because it fits what we're doing today. So, so, I, I was uh, picking up Lily from something, and I just had a few minutes, and I thought, well, I'm going to run to the gas station really quick. And then she texted me, she goes, well, I'm ready to go. Oh, man, I'm right there. I just got out, and, and I, I need a gas. And so, I, you know, I swiped my card, and it, it said, you know, ready. And I thought, well, that's weird. I didn't ask for the you know how you're doing stuff, and your mind is like two steps behind you, because in my mind, I'm thinking, well, it didn't ask for my zip code, and it didn't ask for the, the pin number or anything, so I'm putting it in there, I thought, well, that is really weird, and then it stops at 15 on the, on the button, I'm like, what is that? I thought that was really weird, so thank you, Carol, Carol's like five steps ahead of me, so I'm still thinking about Lily, and I'm checking my phone, and I say, I'll be there in just a second, you know, and and I don't know about, I, I can't fill up partway. Does anybody, anybody with me here? Okay, I can't do that. So I swiped again, you know, and then just as I started to pump, this lady pulls in like super fast on the pump on the other side of me, really fast. I thought, that's a little scary. This is a gas station. You know, have you ever, I mean, okay, anyway. She hops out and she's looking at the pump and then, then it, again, two steps behind, it dawns on me. She was the one in front of me. Now, I had to wait to pull in there. There were two cars. It was one of those, you know, where I had to pull in. And I remember seeing her car because it was a nice charger. And we have a charger not quite as nice. And I remember thinking, oh, that's, that's the same lady. Then it all, thank you, Carol, what Carol just said. It all comes to me. I just pumped her gas somehow. And I said, were, were you on this pump before? And she goes, yeah. She goes, I, I paid and, and put in $15 and then... I got a call, and I started, this is funny too, she's like, I started talking on the phone, forgot to pump my gas, just drove off. I'm like, well, I just pumped your gas. Hey, say, hey, let me pay you for the gas. And she said, oh, no, it's no problem. I already went in, and they said they'll take care of it. I said, well, I got to pay somebody, right? And uh, she goes, no, that's fine. They're going to take care of it. If I was you, I would just leave. So I said, I can't do that. And And I... and she go, and so I, I walked in there, you know, and, and r- right as I walked in, I said, hey, I was on pump eight. And they go, oh, glad you came in because we already put that money on her tank. And, you know, we were just, and the girl at the counter, she just said, she goes, I was just going to have to eat that. And, and I said, well, here, I'm, I'm paying, whatever. That, I did the right thing, right? Right? So five minutes later, I had to tell somebody about it. And what is that? That's pride, right? Pride. I mean, if I was really doing the right thing, I'd have just done the right thing, right? And drive off. You know what that makes me? Makes me a big hypocrite, doesn't it? I mean, seriously. It's so funny because I'm sure you think you're not one. And I like to think I'm not one. And I was feeling pretty dang good about myself. As I drove away from, because I know it's stupid, and as I drove away, I thought, man, I wonder how many people do that, and, and don't they think they're taking advantage of Quick Trip, but we all pay higher gas prices because of that, and how could somebody do something like that, and then I couldn't help but tell somebody about it. 
And I remember, even as the words were coming out of my mouth, I'm like, you're a moron. You're a hypocrite. Just shut up. And why did I even say that? And then, anyway, I'm a hypocrite. We can all go home now. <laughs> you know what, though? We're, we deal with this all the time, don't we? Don't we? I mean, all of us, at one level or another. Now, <laughs> I know none of you came to church today thinking that you were a hypocrite, right? Probably. And none of you wanted to actually admit that to anybody. And some of you are sitting around people you don't even know. But I'm going to ask you to do something with me, at least to make me feel better. Would you do that? Would you, would you say it with me? Because I've said it, I've counted three times already. And it hurt me every time to say it. Could you just say it with me? Could you say, not Dennis is a hypocrite, not that. Okay, what, I'm, I saw some of you like, yeah, no problem. That's, you're a hypocrite. Yeah, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, at some level, we're all hypocrites. And I, I, want, you to, I want you to experience, I, haven't, I don't feel free yet. I still feel stupid. But what I'd like you to do is walk this road with me just for a minute and say it with me. Say, I'm a hypocrite, and me and you. Okay, not me. Okay, ready? On three. Ready? One, two, I'm a hypocrite. How many of you are waiting for me to say three and then do it? I always struggle with that. Is it on three or three? Okay, let's do it one more time. On three. One, two, I'm a hypocrite. Does anybody feel better? (laughs) I know what's probably happened is some of you are still thinking, well, I could see how you were, but I'm not really that bad. And that's probably true. But here's something you need to know. And maybe you did know this already. Maybe you did not. But this charge against the church and Christians is the number one criticism of the church. It is. And it's, it's a consistent criticism of the church. And it's something that, honestly, we um, own because it's true about us. Um, you know what? I, I feel bad. I was going to thank everybody who helped out yesterday at the workday. We had a huge workday. We got a lot of t- stuff done. And I thought about this for a minute. And I thought, is there any way to thank everybody? These, these people did a lot of hard work. I mean, we have people doing cement. We have people, you know, cleaning windows, uh, baseboards. I mean, there's people on their hands and knees cleaning the baseboards in here. I was just blown away. Let me just really quick. I, I just want to thank Eric and Harold and, and Gordon and Rex and the entire Woods family and the Holzels and the Wilkies and Tom and Cassie and Tom and Debbie and Amy and the Watts. I mean, the Wyatts. <laughs> the Watts. The Wyatts, uh, Nick and and Patney Lane, and Leonard, and David, and Wilma, and Dale, and Sherry, and Zach, and Doug, and Deb Heishman, and her granddaughters, and Jim LePay, and Dan Ferris. It was amazing. Sorry, I had to get that in there. Number one criticism of the church. Have you ever heard it before? You ever heard anybody say that? Well, I'm never going to church again. I mean, they're all, they're all hypocrites. It's full of hypocrites. You know what's funny about that? There's always room. You might think it's full, but we're not full. There's room for them, too. There's always room for them. You know, and people, I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about church, you know, and, you know, I've, I've mentioned this before, but as I'm talking to strangers anywhere, you know, and we start talking about what we do for a living, and once I reveal that I'm a pastor, you know, the responses kind of fall into like three categories. One is, you? Like, what you? Because I don't look right. I get that. And then another one I get is people completely shut down because either they've had a bad experience in church or whatever, and they're, they're done talking to me. Or maybe it's guilt. I don't know. And then the third response is, well, I go to this church, and then they want to talk about church, which is fine too. But, but when I've talked to people and they say, they're hypocrites in the church, I have to always say, yeah, you're right. 
And, and it, I know that inside you want to be defensive and say, well, you're a vicar too and there's hypocrites everywhere. And I don't care where you go. You can go to Lions Club and there's hypocrites and that's all true. But when they say that about the church, I want to be quick to say, you're right. You're right. That's true. <laughs> What's funny too is, you know, we all look for a perfect church. And the fact is there's no perfect church because there's no perfect people. And the fact is church is made up of people and the people bring whatever they are to church with them. And we are church. We are people. We're regular, normal people. That's what happens. But just for the sake of uh, humoring me a little bit more, because I could see that some of you when you did the hypocrite, te- or the hypocrite thing, you were just a little struggling there. How about we take a test together, okay? And you're going to have to grade this yourself. There are eight questions, which I know you've all got probably most of your fingers and stuff, so you can at least keep track that way. So let's take the first one, okay? How good of a person do you consider yourself to be? Perfect but trying. I'm an awful person or I'm pretty perfect. Now grade yourself there, but help me though, what's the right answer there? It would be A. So if you didn't answer A, just keep track of that. Okay, number two, if you had the chance to cheat on something and you knew you'd get away with it, what would you do? It's absolutely, it's not like I'm hurting anybody. Or maybe it depends on how much I'd have to stretch the truth. Or absolutely not, it's wrong to lie, cheat, or steal in any circumstance. C, you think the answer's C? Okay. Uh, Number three, if someone cuts you off in traffic, what's your first response? I calm myself and remember we've all done stupid things while driving. (laughs) I catch up to them and let them know how I really feel. I can't tell you because (laughs) I would react because it's far too embarrassing. Okay, so you know, right, the answer's probably A, Okay, and then if a person hurts someone you love, how do you respond? Get even as soon as possible. Avoid it. Avoid and stay out of it. I report to the proper authorities and trust God with the outcome. <laughs> Why do you guys laugh at that? Okay, C is probably the right answer there. Okay, it's okay to judge someone when you're dealing with a complete idiot. <laughs> I know some of you are thinking, I can't believe he said idiot in church. Okay, they do, uh, do, they do the opposite of what I do. Um, it's okay to judge them if they do the opposite of what I do. Um, I may not agree with their behavior, but who am I to judge? Okay, see? Okay. Um, if you see someone on the side of the road who needs help, what do you do? Now, okay, this is suspended if you're like my kids and your kids who are just starting driving, of course. But anyway, what do you do? Drive past without considering it. Who knows what could happen if you stop? Pull over and see how I can help because who knows what could happen if you stop? Um, keep driving and hope and pray someone will help them. See? Well, I'm going to give you a little bit on B and C there, okay? Let's go to seven. If someone is talking trash about someone else, what's your response? If I don't like the person, I'll let them keep talking. (laughs) Tell me more. Um, Or I shut the conversation down because gossip is wrong. Okay. And number eight, if someone betrays you, what's your reaction the next time you see them? I smile politely with bitterness in my heart. I smile politely with forgiveness in my heart, or I hunt them down and make them pay. <clears throat> yeah, it should be B. Thank you for the supposed to be. Supposed to be B. Here's the problem. I don't, I don't know what your grades were on that, but you can keep track of yourself. It's not really scientific or anything. But the fact is, it just illustrates the point that there are things that we know we should do we don't do. And really, hypocrisy, it's such a, such a normal thing for so many, and it's really lying with your behavior. You ever think about that? It's when your values and your beliefs don't line up with what you do. It's, it's sad because all of us have, we're pretty sure what right and wrong is, and we're really sure what right and wrong is for everyone else. But when it comes to us, we make allowances and excuses, and we have reasons why it's okay in this situation for us to just bend it a little bit. 
It's really saying one thing but doing another. It's, it's when you have one way of, of behaving around this circle of friends and then another way around this circle of friends and these acquaintances and at work, and those worlds hopefully never collide. I, always th- I thought it was funny, when, especially when I was a youth pastor and I'd run into students like at the mall and they're with friends who probably they shouldn't be with. You know, and their eyes just get huge. And what's really funny is when I see them from a ways off and I can work it so we just, can't, you know, just happen to run right into each other. And they'd be like, Pastor Dennis, what are you doing here? Like, I can't go to the mall. I mean, it's a public place, right? I mean, okay. Hey, how, who are your friends? Can I meet them? And then they'll say, who is that? Who is that? And you go to church? That was the best. I mean, the worst. The absolute worst, actually. The absolute worst. In fact, I heard a story today about about um, about somebody who had been to church and been part of church, but then at their funeral, they didn't mention that. They said that they were a religious person. I'm like, well, that's actually not what we should be necessarily. Jesus had a lot to say about hypocrisy. You know, as you look through what Jesus said and, and what he actually talked about, hypocrisy, he actually spoke about a lot. And, and, and in reference to, at that time in, when Jesus was on the earth, in the, in the Jewish community, they had quite a few Jewish uh, religious sects, but the two main ones were the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they were different, but they operated together. Um, they respected each other. They had really strict, uh, really intense disagreements. The Sadducees were more of the political leaders of the community. They were in charge of the Sanhedrin. They were in charge of the temple. But then the Pharisees, and here's where, this is why it's so sad. The Pharisees were the ones, they were the the students of the word, of the Bible. They were the ones who were supposed to be reading what it said and then helping everybody understand and follow it. They were the ones who you would hope would lead the people along in their faith and guide them. They were the ones that Jesus had no patience for. Now, it's not to say there weren't good Pharisees. There were. And you know some of them by name. You know Nicodemus, for instance. He came to Jesus at night, and that's where we read in the, in the book of John in chapter 3, probably the most famous scripture in the Old New Testament where it says, where, you know, he's talking to Jesus, and he talks about being born again. Then he, he gives, you know, John three sixteen that really famous verse. Good Pharisees. But Jesus struggled with the rest of them. In fact, so much so that that word Pharisee has become synonymous with hypocrite. Maybe you haven't heard it used that way in a long time, but bottom line is a lot of times people might call each other a Pharisee because of the way they act. But because I don't want you to get too down on all the Pharisees, their hearts were right in the beginning. Their intentions were good. Their goal was to be holy and to be as holy as possible. So in their effort to be holy, here's the problem. Let me let's show you this progression. Holiness is really a heart issue, isn't it? I mean, holiness is a matter of the heart. And, and are you right with God? And is, is what's inside you really, really true and pure? But the problem is you can't see the heart, right? Since all you can see are the, are the actions, you have to regulate behaviors. And then once you start rela- re- regulating behaviors, at some point, they forgot about the heart. And it only became about the external and the behaviors. That's not what God intended at all. It became rules upon rules and regulations upon regulations. And, and basically, these, these religious people were so religious that they forgot about the relationship. How many of you have heard, it's almost become a cliche, but I, I, it's not a religion, it's a relationship, right? When we talk about Jesus, 
Because religion is about following rules and, and working your way to God and climbing so high that you can reach him or, or doing whatever you can in your own power to be good enough for him. But that's not what the Bible talks about. The Bible and the, and the message of the cross and Christ is totally different where God comes to us and makes it possible to have a relationship with him. And when Jesus was here, he was trying to show them that over and over and over, but they were stuck on all the rules. We use a term called legalism in the church because it's just about rules. And just to give you an example of how this went with them, they were so serious about it. They took, you know, that you got the basic Ten Commandments, and then they wrote these, these long, I mean, it'd be like sermons almost. In fact, it would be similar to that where they would take interpretations. And just to make sure you don't violate one of those Ten Commandments, they added up to 600 plus rules so you don't break the ten. They got really specific. So specific, it kind of got out of just, out of balance. It was amazing. Like, like for instance, they had this hand-washing ceremony they would do. And it was, it was far beyond just washing your hands. Because there is that story in the scripture where, where the Pharisees complain that Jesus' disciples aren't, aren't washing their hands. Well, the fact is, they did wash their hands. They just didn't do the ritual. Because the ritual involves something like this. As I look into it, what would happen is they would take their fingers and put them up to heaven. And then somebody else would have to pour a cup of water over their fingers then they would do that again. Then they would do some movement. We're not really sure. Historically, we're not sure. But some kind of movement with their fists under the water to show that they were pure and clean. Did that clean their hands? Maybe. I don't know. Maybe some surface dust. I don't know. But it was religious. And it was a, it was a ritual they did. And then if you didn't do that, guess what? You weren't holy. You weren't holy. Now, look, we look at that and think, how silly is that? We do have similar things. You know, a good Jew would, would have tassels, and maybe you've been around a Jewish community where they have the tassels coming, sticking out of their clothes, like underneath their coat. Well, they had to measure them, and for some reason, they got the idea that the longer the tassel, the more spiritual you were. We do that too, though, don't we? Just a little bit. I mean, not as much anymore with, with hair and with all the other things, but we do it to some degree. I mean, it, it happens, and we just kind of add these external rules. They had other ones, too. It's kind of crazy. I mean, it, it was all about all those deals. They had these things called phylacteries. You ever heard of that? A phylactery is a, uh, it's a little box where you would, you would put Scripture verses and maybe wear it on your head as well. And, and before you start to think that's all silliness, because the idea was it came right out of Scripture. Let's take a look at the Scripture. This is in Deuteronomy 6.4. They call this the Shema which means it's the statement of faith of the Jews. It says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. You ever heard that before? Sure you have. Jesus quoted that, didn't he? When he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? And then, he goes on, then it goes on. It says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you think that was intended to be taken literally or figuratively? Do you know how much the average scroll weighed? Some of them weighed as much as 90 pounds which is hard to even imagine. How could you even maneuver those things? Of course, it didn't mean every scripture. Of course not. The idea is it would be like us saying, keep, keep a scripture on your mind today, right? Keep it in front of your eyes. Or, or, I mean, there's a lot of things we say that have meaning like that. I just saw somebody put their phone Bible on their head. Way to go. That was pretty funny. Okay, um, 
You caught me by surprise there. But something that was intended for good, the fact is they just kind of got out of balance with it. And the thing was, in Jesus' day, they would, they would wear bigger and bigger boxes to show they had more scripture on their head. Do we ever do that? Act a little more spiritual than everybody else or think we are a little bit or we're just a little bit better? Or maybe you paid for your gas like I did, right? And you're proud of it and you tell somebody five minutes later. Jesus called him out. He says, your walk doesn't match your talk. He basically said, what, what you're doing speaks so loud, I can't hear words you're saying. <clears throat> Jesus was tough on these guys. And I found something that reminded me a little bit of Dr. Seuss. It says, your talk talks and your walk walks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. <laughs> you would think that was Dr. Seuss. It's not. It's actually John Maxwell. It's kind of surprising, but, but it's, it's good. You know what's sad, too? A lot of times when you're being hypocritical, you don't even see it. It's like a blind spot, and you're, you're walking around, and other people can see it so clearly, and, and you can't even see it. It's, it's funny that way. And, and we, we all kind of intrinsically have a problem with hypocrisy, and I've even noticed, have you noticed that lately we struggle with even hypocritical food? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like 100% pure, organic, grass-fed. I mean, that's better, right, than something that's not. I mean, we struggle with that kind of thing. It's, it's, it's something that, that is all down. It's deep down. It's who we are. And maybe you've experienced this when you're watching a sitcom and you see some, an actor and they're, they're having fun and they're being funny and they seem like such great people and you think, I, I bet they'd be fun to hang out with. And then maybe it does, maybe it doesn't dawn on you. They're acting. They're playing. Those aren't even their emotions. Those emotions were written in the script. It said, be happy and laugh right here. And the words they said weren't their own words and they weren't their ideas. Probably it, couldn't, it may not even be their own personality. They are playing. Now, I, I was really, this hit me in the face years and years ago when I was a youth pastor in the L.A. area. Sometimes we'd do a fundraiser where we'd go watch TV shows taped. And it was a great experience. It was fun to see behind the scenes. But it was sad in a way because it took all, the, all of that out of the TV shows because you saw who people really were behind the scenes. And once they were off camera, the way they acted. And this is probably too obvious as an example, but, but it was late in this show's life because usually if the show's more popular, they didn't need an audience because they had plenty of people to come. There's no need to pay somebody, but it was late in the show's life, and we hadn't signed up for the show, but at the last minute, they switched us to one of the later shows of Roseanne. You remember that show? This was back when she was married to Tom Arnold right at the end there. There was one point where she berated one of the other uh, stars on the show for missing their line and then stomped off and then wouldn't come back out. And you've got, you've got hundreds of people in the audience just like, uh, what are we supposed to do? And they're trying to help keep us entertained. And they're like, you can't leave. You don't, don't leave. And then Tom Arnold came up, and he was real congenial and funny and fun and j- joked around and kind of kept the audience entertained for a while. And I just remember thinking, wow, you would, I mean, if you didn't see behind the scenes, aren't you glad people don't see behind the scenes? <laughs> aren't you glad that your mind is not an open book? And aren't you glad that you can fake it sometimes and get through life without being just a phony at every minute remember when reality tv shows came out <laughs> remember that <laughs> and we thought it was all real and you find out later it's all staged too none of it's real or how about the media don't they love to find hypocrisy i mean they're after it all the time whether it's whether it's a sports figure or certainly politics is in the news all the time or another actor or something like that you know what's funny about that what i look at that is it's it's hypocrites calling hypocrites hypocrites Isn't that true? (laughs) We all have a bias. They all have a bias. Here's what's really sad, though. 
is I love to point out the hypocrisy in others. I may not always say it out loud because I know how that makes me look. But doesn't it just give you a little tinge of satisfaction when somebody famous who you don't agree with falls and you think, see, I knew they weren't for real. And somehow we find joy in other people's hypocrisy being exposed and yet we're just like that. You say to yourself, oh, I would never do that. Oh, if I had all that money and all that fame and all that success, I would live this way or that way and you would never do it. And it's sad because it happens. And when I look into myself, it it makes me sick that I feel better about that when I see someone else struggling. And it reminds me of that Romans 7 passage where Paul says, I know what to do and I don't know why I don't do it, but then I do what I don't want to do and I have sin. Bottom line is, again, we're all hypocrites. We all struggle with this. Do you know the word hypocrite comes from Greek theater? You know, the Greeks kind of pioneered theater for us, you know, the smile and the, the, the happy mask and the sad mask. That's where the word comes from. Hypocrite means mask, an actor. It's as if you're putting on somebody else. And you're acting a certain way for the crowd. And we all perform for a crowd everywhere we go. <laughs> it's just a different crowd. So sometimes you have to switch the mask. Or some of us have been acting for so long, you don't even realize you're acting anymore. And you forget you know, who you really were. Some of us wear a mask at church and people say, how are you doing? And you know the right answer is what? Fine. Doing great. And God forbid someone would really tell you how they're doing because you're like, oh, no, time for that because I was really wanting to talk to that person. You just happened to be right here. And I said, hi, and now I'm stuck. And We work at faking it all the time. <laughs> it's no wonder that, you know, we kind of get overwhelmed with this. Well, Jesus, like I said, he was hard on these Pharisees. I know you're wanting me to get to him and off of us, right? Because it's not as bad if we talk about them. Well, let's look at what he said. He goes into this series of, in, in, the, in the King James, it was woes. So they call it the seven woes. Have you ever heard this before? We, we probably don't read it very often because it's very uncomfortable. Here's the first one. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites. That's brutal. It was brutal for him to say that in front of everybody. They would have been so furious at him. He says, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces and you won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either man he doesn't miss he doesn't pull any punches he puts it right out there because you know what their job was their job was to interpret the bible for everybody else it was for them to show the way to heaven and he says to them flat out not only do you not do it but you're shutting the door in people's faces he goes on he says what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you pharisees you hypocrites for you cross land and sea to make one convert and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell as you are Wow, do you realize Jesus could be so harsh? You know those movies where he's all smiling and friendly, and right? He was that way with people who needed him and were honest, but those who were hypocrites and religious phonies, this is how he was. And what's he talking about here? What he's saying here is you turn this relationship with God into a religion, and the religion becomes more important than the relationship. And not only is that true for you, but you do that for all your converts. He calls them blind guides, blind fools. That is brutal. Brutal. They nitpicked about which oaths were binding and which were not, ignoring the sacred nature of all oaths and the significance of the temple and God's holiness. He goes on, he says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religion, you Pharisees, hypocrites? 
For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. The Pharisees were really, really good tithers. You know, pastors, we need good tithers. I mean, the church runs off your tithe. That's important. Jesus says it's important to tithe. But what he's criticizing them for is that they were so into the details, which is hard to even imagine. I mean, none of you would go to your spice rack, right, and pull out 10% of the spices and give them to the church. But they would. Then they'd brag about it. They would pump their gas and pay for it and brag about it, right? That's what they did. And what he's saying is, in doing that, yes, you should tithe, but you're missing the most important thing, the justice and mercy and faith. He goes on, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, (laughs) brutal, full of greed and self-indulgence, you blind Pharisee. First wash the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will become clean too. You ever picked up a dirty glass? It's kind of sick, isn't it? Because you think it's clean on the outside, it looks good, and then you drink some, and then you're looking, you know how you look into the bottom of the glass? Like, oh my goodness, I just drank all that. <laughs> Sometimes I swish it around like, okay, it's still stuck on there, I guess sorry. No, I'm kidding, I wouldn't do that. I'm joking. <laughs> There's a principle here. Uh, the, the first principle is super obvious. The outside needs to be clean, and, or, and, of course, and the inside needs to be clean. And, and that's important. But here's the real point Jesus is making here. If the inside's clean, the whole thing's clean. So many times we just worry about the external and what's on the outside and what people see and what we do and how we act and, and if we paid for our gas. But he's saying the inside is, needs to be clean. And if the inside's clean, everything that follows will be clean. He, he he's, keeps rolling. I don't, anybody been counting how many of these are? You got two more. Wait, wait, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs. I thought it was bad enough with the cup and dish. He goes right, he goes to tombs. Beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. In my line of work, I get to go to a lot of cemeteries a lot and i'm amazed at times how beautiful they are not not that they shouldn't be i think that's fine but what's amazing is i think of this story and how poignant that would have been to them because what's inside rotting dead flesh and what jesus is saying is yeah you look good on the outside but you're not inside you're dead then the last one it's kind of inside baseball here for them, but they say, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, for you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the mon- monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. This is a direct jab at them because as you read through the Bible, you will see they killed all the prophets, and a lot of them, most of them in Jerusalem. Here the prophets God would send to them, they would end up killing. And so in a way that they were trying to honor and say, we would never have done that. And then what was going to happen within just a few, like a year from this story? They were going to kill him. The prophet, the son of God, the greatest who had ever come, they were going to kill. They didn't see it yet, but this was the greatest act of hypocrisy of all. They had the son of God right there, the king of the universe, the one who could give life. And they took life and they didn't even see it coming. 
They were so blinded by their own idea of, of them being perfect and how great they were. It's all symbolism over substance. It's all about, about, about them looking good and appearances. They appear to obey God, but their hearts are far from him. Sad, because they totally missed the relationship. They missed it. They made it about rules, and they forgot about the relationship. It's, it's just it's sad, because they got so twisted and, out and backward and upside down and and it, it was all about the minutia, and then they put heavy burdens on people, and it just didn't work. It's, it was, we call it two-faced sometimes. They give to the poor, and then they brag about it. And Jesus talks other times about how they would pray on a street corner just to be seen as holy, or they would sometimes put makeup on while, during, while they were fasting so that it made it look like they were even more miserable than they really were. You know what it is? It's exhausting to be a hypocrite. Isn't it really? Because you got to keep up with all those stories. And you, you got to keep up with which mask to wear and which group you, you said what to and how you said it and when you said it. And, and you don't want to say it again and, and then have them think. And you want to make sure that those two groups don't meet. And so you're rushing around to keep this all balanced. It can be really exhausting. And you act one way for one kind of people and another way for another kind. And you're always on stage and you're faking it here and faking it there. It's tiring. But worse, it's extinguishing. In that first woe Jesus mentioned, you extinguish someone's search for him. Here's what's really sad is it hasn't changed in 2,000 years, and it's still the number one complaint people have against the church. Did you ever think that your behavior could actually extinguish someone's search for God? That's heartrending. It's overwhelming. It's killing me. I remember, it is a long time ago, but I remember when Barkley was a big basketball star, and Somebody called him a role model, and he said, I'm not a role model. And I remember thinking, well, you're not for me, but every one of us as Christians are for everyone we meet. The world wants to see something real. They want to see something that works. They want to see something that's consistent. They need to see it in you. They need to see it in you, and they need to be able to, to follow it in you. They need to see consistency in your walk with Christ. They need to see that it's, it's you, that you're real. They need to see him in you and that he is real. They need to see it. And you might be sitting here, and not that you're Barclay or anything, but you might be sitting here and saying, whoa, 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 that's not me. That's too much for me, too much a burden for me. Let the professional Christians, the pastors do that. You're always on. I get days off. But here's the thing. If it's clean inside, the cup is clean. You don't need a day off. It's always like that. It's just who you are, living it out loud, and people see it because it's what's real, and it's what's in you. <laughs> you might say, I've heard this before, well, you know, you shouldn't have your eyes on men anyway. Put your eyes on Jesus. Men will fail. Good, that's good. That's good. Here's the problem. Jesus sent you. <laughs> I've always wanted to call him up and say, hey, I got this person I need you to talk to. Can you come and talk to him? Meet me at Starbucks at 3 o'clock? That'd be nice. And he would just be there and take care of everything. And I'm on my way to the hospital. Or as I was talking with Pastor Nick and Jeremy as we'd, we'd just left seeing Eunice's last week. And as we're walking down the hallway, and, and I can't help but look in the rooms. And I see people laying there. And I'm thinking, God, help them as you're walking by. And why isn't anybody in there with them? And they look so alone. And how cool would it be if Jesus just walked into every one of those rooms? But he didn't do it that way. He sent you and me. And that's his plan. And we can talk to him later about, are you sure that was a good idea? Because <laughs> that's how he did it. You're the messenger. So what do we do with all this? Here's the first step to any problem. 
admit you got a problem. Now, we did that in the very beginning of the sermon. And you probably didn't want to, but you did because everybody was. And I know some of you didn't even do it. You're just like doing the mouth, but you didn't say anything. I know. I don't want to do it either. But the fact is, until you admit it, you can't really deal with it. Until you admit that that's an issue, you can't deal with it. And we're all hypocrites. We all live with this inconsistency between our beliefs and our behavior. I know that. That's how we are. And none of us will ever be perfect. But the fact is, we serve a God who knows us because he created us that way. And yet he called us to live better. So what do we do? We just try harder? No, because that's religion again. That's not what he called us to do. What he called us to do is let him come and clean the inside of the cup. The thing is, just like your glasses at home, they got to be washed all the time. And so do we. And, and sometimes we get so tired of washing it, and we just want to just be who we are. And the fact is, we need cleaning all the time. I love this verse. This comes from Isaiah, and it's, it's quoted throughout the scriptures in different ways. But it says here, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord, my God. For he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I don't know what that, what that brings to your mind, what images it brings to your mind, but it brings a ton to mind. I mean, I think about when I'm cold and, and a robe or coat makes me feel warm and the, the comfort of that, the warmth of that. I, I think about really what it's saying here is the fact that we need that clothing of salvation because in and of ourselves, we will never be good enough or clean enough or perfect enough. We couldn't manufacture and create the kind of righteousness we need, but instead he drapes me with the robe of righteousness. Later in the New Testament, Paul says he's exchanged our filth for his righteousness. He does that for us because he knows we can't do it on our own. And even though we're all hypocrites and we need to live better, the fact is he helps us do it. As much as you can let him clean it, he will clean it. The scribes and Pharisees, they were supposed to know God and help other people follow him. And they didn't. They didn't do that. Instead, they put up barriers to people following him. They made it more difficult to follow him. God forbid that we would do that. Instead, what our calling is and our job is not only to let him clean our cup, but then to invite other people to be clean as well. And here's what's true. As you operate and live like that, people will follow. I'd love for the worship team could come join me here for just a moment on the stage. And uh, as they come, I just want to ask you a couple questions. I'd like if you would just to shut your eyes in this room. And I know that there's people in here, but something about closing your eyes, you know, maybe it's that grade schooler coming out in us where we just think we're alone with our eyes closed. But if you just shut your eyes for a second, you know, their religion wasn't really true worship of God. It was, it was really rooted in a prideful heart. I want mine cleaned today. Does anybody else want theirs clean today? Anybody at all? If you just raise your hand for a second, if that's you. I see those hands. God's, more importantly, God sees those hands. Let me, you can put your hands down. Let me, let me just tell you something. I know it's so obvious, but you realize God knows you're a hypocrite already, right? He already knows. Because he knows us inside and out, the real us, the fake us, the, the, the us we are at school, the us we are at, at church, the us we are in our job, the us we are when we're shopping. He knows all of us and loves us completely. Maybe you're sitting here today and um, you've heard all this before, and maybe you're sitting here and you think, actually, my cup's not clean at all. 
and you'd like it completely clean, and you would like to give Jesus a try and to follow him as Savior today. Anybody here like that, you'd raise your hand and we could pray for you to become a Christian today? Anybody at all? All right, if you guys would stand with me for a minute. And as you're standing, here's what we're going to do is as a worship team plays some music for us, we're just going to have a time of prayer. And, and like for our, our prayer leaders and for our staff and our board and their spouses, if you'd come forward to pray with people. And if, there, if you would like prayer for anything, it could be something that you raised your hand for earlier in the service. It could be help with that club cup cleaning thing. Anything at all. We'd just like to take a moment and pray with you. Then we'll close the service in just a minute.